Let me encourage you then to remain standing as we come now to the Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn to uh, the, Be- uh, the Blue Church Bible and uh, you'll find our passage on page 996. We're concluding our series in 2 Timothy. And as we've seen so far, Paul is calling Timothy to a difficult task. Uh, The Roman Empire is uh, increasingly turning its uh, gaze in an aggressive way to the Christian church and is persecuting the church. What is more, Paul uh, is aware, Paul's aware that in Ephesus, false teachers have arisen and Timothy must not only do battle with physical danger, but spiritual opposition and doctrinal confusion. And so he's been calling Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And now he comes to this final section of Second uh, Timothy, where really he is showing by his example what that means. And I've called this sermon, Never Give Up. Let's turn then to Second Timothy chapter 4 and beginning at verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpas at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eublis sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is God's word. Amen. The famous American tech company, Apple, is well known for being founded by the two Steves, Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Wozniak. Less well known is that there was actually a third founder in the very early days. 
this uh, man, Ronald Wayne, held 10% of uh, the company in uh, his own ownership. But uh, very soon he became concerned about uh, the debts that Apple was accruing in those early days. And uh, after just uh, 12 days, he sold his uh, 10% stake in Apple for $800. Well, today, 10% of Apple will be worth a little bit more. I uh, checked online uh, this week to try and figure out how much Apple was worth, and one person at least estimated that it was over $900 billion. So that's quite a lot, 10% of that. It's very easy, isn't it, when the going seems a little bit rough to give up. And how tempting it must have been for Timothy to give up. Paul has already told him, basically, that he's going to die. And uh, there are, as I mentioned at the beginning, great, great opposition that is building to Timothy. And so what Paul does in this final section is describe to Timothy how he is spending his time, what Paul is doing, what he's thinking about, what his concerns are, as he knows that he is facing the very end of his physical life. There he is in jail. What is he doing? And we have here, I think, three tools to teach us how to never give up from the amazing example of Paul's final days. The first tool is this, don't be too proud to ask for help. Don't be too proud to ask for help. The Apostle Paul was not too proud to ask for help. A great man, of course. If anyone in uh, Christian history had the reputation for being a bit of a macho leader, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet here he is asking for help. You can find that in uh, verse uh, 9 of our passage and then again in verse 21. Often ancient manuscripts uh, reveal at least a part of their emphasis by what is said at the beginning and the end if there's a repetition. And here at the beginning, Paul says, uh, do your best to come to me soon. And then verse 21, do your best to come to me before winter. And actually the word there for do your best has a sense of haste, hurry. Come to me quickly, hasten to me quickly. Paul is uh, feeling lonely. He's in jail, often on his own. Only Luke is with him. He loves Timothy as a beloved son. He needs his companionship. Come to me quickly. I'm lonely. He hasn't got too spiritual or too proud to ask for help. What is more here in this uh, passage, Paul asks for help physically as well. Uh, Winter is coming and uh, jail cells in those days did not have central heating. 
And so he asks for the cloak that for some reason or other that we don't know why he left with his belongings behind. Perhaps he had to leave everything when he was arrested. His cloak uh, was uh, perhaps uh, the Latin pinula, which was a heavy cloak with a hole in the center that you pull down over you, a kind of cape to keep you warm in winter. He's cold. He thinks he's going to get even colder. He's in physical need. Uh, Timothy, make sure you bring my cloak. It's going to get cold. And then, uh, in the passage, the part of the passage is much beloved by scholars the world over. He asks for books. And above all, the parchments. People have wondered over hundreds of years as to exactly what kind of books Paul wanted and what kind of parchments. And, of course, we don't know. We can only speculate. One likely option is that Paul was asking for his copies of the Old Testament Scriptures uh, but also perhaps uh, a, an official uh, copy of uh, his Roman citizenship for the trial that was ahead. And maybe also copies of the uh, sayings of Jesus. And perhaps also copies of his own manuscripts to be preserved for the future church. The New Testament, as we call it. Uh, bring the books especially the parchments. There he is, pretty much on his own, apart from Luke. And he has nothing to occupy his mind. You know, it is a terrible thing to be bored, to sit staring in solitary confinement at a wall. Oh, Timothy, bring me something to do. You know, it's possible, isn't it, for us to get to an attitude, a thought, a worldview about Christian spirituality that assumes that somehow if we get really holy, if we become truly spiritually mature, we won't need anything or anyone. Not true. Not true. Grace does not remove Nature. We're physical beings. We have physical needs. We're emotional beings. We have emotional needs. We're intellectual beings. We have intellectual needs. I love how uh, John Stott put it in his commentary. He said, uh, he said this, When we're lonely, we need friends. When we're cold, we need clothes. And when we're bored, we need books. Don't be too proud to ask for help. You know, we have here as a church various groups that can help you. We have grace groups if you're struggling with mental health. Uh, We have grief groups if you're struggling with a sense of loss or bereavement. And there are many people around who, if you let them into your life, will love you. But you've got to ask for help. Don't be too proud to ask for help. 
The first of these tried and tested three tools from the Apostle Paul that shows us how to never give up from the example of his amazing final days then is don't be too proud to ask for help. The second is this. Invest in people. Invest in people. Now, you cannot have missed it as we read out. There are a lot of people mentioned here by name. And it's easy for us to just sort of skim over them and think, oh, that's another name that I can hardly pronounce, and here's another name that means nothing to me. But think of it. There's the Apostle Paul in jail. Knowing that he's facing his final days and what is on his mind? What is he trying to do? On his mind is people. What he's trying to do is invest in people. It's really amazing. Now, of course, he's not naive about it. There are two people here that he warns uh, Timothy about. One is Demas, who Paul says uh, is in love with this, fell in love with this present world, or literally in, in love with the now age. That is, he 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 committed to what he could get now, rather than what would come in heaven after. And we don't know exactly what uh, it was about this world that Demas had fallen in love with. One scholar thinks that he was scared of the, the upcoming danger of those terrible days in that reign of terror of Nero. And, and he had become frightened and ran away. That's possible. It's also possible that uh, Demas was uh, simply um, more in love with the pleasures of this world, the, the monetary possibilities of this world, the sensual enjoyments of this world, and had gone to a very nice place by the sea to a beach town in Thessalonica and was having the party of his life. We don't know. We do know it must have, must have hurt Paul. For Demas is described in other parts of the New Testament as one of Paul's co-workers. He's part of his team. And Paul also warns uh, Timothy about another individual called Alexander. The name Alexander was quite a common name. And so though there are other Alexanders in the New Testament, we're not sure exactly which this Alexander was, other than that he was a coppersmith or a metal worker. But uh, Paul uh, warns uh, Timothy against him, for he had done Paul great harm and strongly opposed our message, that is, he'd stood against the teaching of the gospel. And again, we're not sure exactly what it was that Alexander had done. It is quite likely, though, that Alexander was the individual, the particular individual who had betrayed Paul back to the Roman authorities and caused him to be arrested. And when Paul says the Lord will repay him for his deeds, Paul's not wishing judgment on him. He's just declaring the reality. And he's warning Timothy against him because if Timothy is going to go and see Paul again, he will need to go through Troas, and it's quite possible that Alexander was still in Troas, and he needed to be warned because he was going to go through that city that Alexander was not to be trusted. So Paul's investing in people, but he's not naive. But look how he has not become bitter. Despite Demas' abandonment and despite Alexander's betrayal, he's not bitter. 
No, he's investing in this one and that one and the other. Tychicus. Tychicus, who had responsibly carried the letters of Paul, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, he had carried those letters and now was in all likelihood carrying the letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy. And quite possibly, when Timothy came to Rome, it was going to be Tychicus's job to deputize for Timothy as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He, he was a responsible person that Paul was continuing to hold up for honor and say, look, here's Tychicus. And then there's Mark. Mark, we know from earlier in uh, the story of the New Testament, had abandoned Paul, but then had been forgiven and restored. And now not only was restored, here he is, Paul says, very useful to me in ministry. There's Paul in a jail cell, making sure that we all know that this young man, Mark, who had a black mark against his name, was actually now very useful in ministry. So that you would know that, Timothy, so we would know that. That's, that's what he's thinking about. How can I elevate those gospel workers so that they can flourish after I've gone? Amazing. And then there's Luke. Luke, loyal Luke, who alone is with Paul. Dr. Luke. Luke, who, of course, wrote Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts. And probably Luke's Gospel reflects a lot of the theological emphases of the Apostle Paul. So there Paul is in his jail cell. He wants the books and the parchments, probably with the sayings of Jesus. And he's in a huddle together with Luke, crafting the future documents of the church, Luke's gospel on Acts, the book of Acts, and he's investing in the future of the church. He's investing in Dr. Luke. Oh, invest in people. Invest in people. It's so easy, isn't it, to think about everything else other than the eternal image Bearers sitting next to you. Don't become bitter because you've been betrayed. Turn your attention to someone else. Invest in people. The Apostle Paul did. Timothy, you've got to do the same. That's how you never give up. You keep on investing in people. You're not too proud to ask for help. And the third of these three tried and tested tools from the Apostle Paul's amazing final days that teach us how to never give up. The third one is rely on God's power. Did you pick that up in verses 16 to 18? He says, at my first defense, no one stood by me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul means by him being rescued from the lion's mouth. It does not mean that he was in danger 
of going to the amphitheater and being thrown to the lions, for no Roman citizen would suffer that fate. Probably what's going on, and I don't have time to get into it this morning, but throughout this section, if, if you want to look at this this afternoon, it's a great study. Paul is probably actually reflecting on Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross. And there's language here and a rhythm here that reflects that Psalm 22 in Paul's mind as well, as he also is facing, and he also is alone at the court. He also has been abandoned, and he's reflecting on that Psalm 22. And at one point at Psalm 22, it says, you rescued me from the mouth of the lion. That is, at the first offense, he was not convicted and was not killed. He was rescued from death. But he knows the end is coming. And the Lord will rescue him from every evil deed. That is, finally and ultimately, he'll bring him to his heavenly kingdom. That is, eternity with Jesus himself. But there he is. At that first defense. In court. There's no one with him. It it was usual in those days when a defendant was in that court to have someone stand by you as either a legal representative or at least a friend to testify to your good character. And there Paul was, the great apostle Paul in Rome where there was a thriving church and many Christians and no one, not a single person would stand by him. And yet in his moment of greatest extremity, the infinite power of God was more than sufficient and strengthened him. Timothy, you want to know what it's like to preach the word in season and out of season? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like standing in the court. And no one's there with you. And at that moment, Timothy, I proclaimed the gospel to all the Gentiles present. That's what it's like, Timothy. In season, out of season. That was certainly out of season. How did I do it? Rely on God's power. The infinite power of God. You know, when you come to the end of your finite resources, you are just beginning to understand the infinite resources of the almighty God. It's easy, isn't it, for us when we hear this sort of thing in a sermon to think that that's okay for a sermon, but it's not okay for real life. We, we tend to sanitize it. We tend to sentimentalize it. We tend to think it doesn't have any practical utility. But if the Bible is about anything, if the example of Paul's final days is about anything, It is about how the power of God is practically useful. Did not Moses say when the people of God had their back to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was racing towards them, did he not say, you only need to stand and you'll see the salvation of the Lord? 
Did not the great prophet Isaiah say to King Ahaz when Ahaz was faced with the hordes of Syria coming to take them over and destroy them? Did he not say, if you do not stand by your faith, you will not stand at all? Weep no more. I stand by you. I who rule over earth and sea, I who sit enthroned in the heavens, the Almighty God stands with you. Weep no more, for it is done. As the end of Psalm 22 puts it, and as Jesus himself spoke. Three tried and tested tools to never give up from the amazing example of Paul's final days. Don't be too proud to ask for help. Keep on investing in people right to the end and rely on the power of God. William Carey is uh, famous as a great and effective and successful missionary to India. But in William Carey's early days, he had very little success. In fact, for the first six years in India, he saw not a single convert But then William Carey, by the end, he had started up schools for the impoverished children of India. He had seen hundreds come to faith. He had translated the whole Bible into six different languages and portions of the Scriptures into at least 20 other languages. He had founded the University of Serampore. Towards the end of his life, William Carey said this, I can plod, I can persevere with any definite task, to this I owe everything. Christian, plod on. Keep on going. Never give up, for God will never give up on you. Oh, our Lord God, we do bow before you this morning and ask that you would indeed strengthen us with that almighty power. Oh, Lord, we confess before you that we are often so weak and in need of encouragement and strength. We pray, Lord, that this would be our experience as the Apostle Paul's, that you would stand by us and strengthen us. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would not be too proud to ask for help when we need it. 
And indeed, Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of church where it is easy to be vulnerable, easy to be open, where we are quick to forgive, fast to offer grace and mercy, and where we can both offer help and give help to. And Lord, we pray also that we would be the kind of people who invest in people. Lord, that we would receive from others when they want to invest in us. To ask to be mentored and encouraged by an older man, an older woman, if, if, if we don't have someone discipling us. And ourselves, look to whom we can encourage at school and at work to invest in the people that you, Lord, have, have put around us. And in this way, we ask, Lord, that we would indeed never give up, knowing that only it is only by your power and your strength that we can persevere. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.